We are uh, continuing in our preaching through the Psalms. We're in Psalm 29. You might remember we're uh, taking 10 Psalms a summer. And so we were in 21 through 30, so we have two more. After that, I think I'm going to do a sermon or two out of Proverbs, just take a theme or two in Proverbs. And then I've been working on a series of sermons with, we have a decent amount of new people here and more coming, and I thought it'd be helpful to take some sermons and talk about who is Pine Grove, what do we want to be, make sure we're all on the same page, and then hopefully we'll get back to Galatians. So that's where we're going. But we have two more in the psalm, Psalm 29. I've had a few weeks off of preaching, and so I've been thinking a lot about this psalm, thunder, and so on. Uh, One of the things that I understand about preaching that I continually feel the need to help you understand is this past week, Mandy and the girls were school shopping, and so us boys had some time, and we put on a boxing movie, and it was fun, and, uh, you know, ministry and you and things that sort of always on my mind, and so I think preaching is a bit like boxing. The boxer in the movie was riding high. He was uh, about to fight the champ, and then he got beat before the championship fight. He got staggered. He, he, he lost his cockiness, and I think preaching is partly for that. You come in thinking you're spiritually pretty good. You're uh, confident in yourself. You can't imagine that your motives are ever really that bad. You've lost the truth that your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and you think you're pretty good. And hopefully what God's Word does is give you a quick left jab to the nose. Makes your eyes water a bit. Makes you sit back and think, man, I am not that good. And I need the grace of God. And I want to glorify God. So that's what I hope preaching does. I think this text is particularly helpful to that. Flannery O'Connor was a short story writer. I would encourage you to read her. She under, she's Catholic and she understands the depravity of man and she wrote some on that. But one of the things that was really delightful about her is she had a farm somewhere down south and she had a lot of peacocks. Peacocks. And one of the things she writes short stories about is her experience observing peacocks. One of the things she tells about peacocks is how arrogant and vain and proud they are. If you give attention to a peacock, it'll turn away from you because it's too good for your attention. It likes to puff itself up and fan out and cry out to get your attention, but when you give it your attention, it'll turn away from you because it's too high and proud and beautiful for you lowly person to give your attention. And one of the things that Psalm 29 should do for you is to help you see that you're a peacock. You're proud and vain and constantly want to draw attention to yourself and take glory. You know what God does? He thunders. He creates thunderstorms with lightning that crack in order to communicate to you he deserves all the glory. 
That's what he's doing in Psalm 29. He wants to you to see in all of creation his power, his majesty, his utter control over all things that you might fear him, that you might be humbled before him, that you might delight yourself in him. What happened in Psalm 29 is it looks like David just saw a thunderstorm and it set his mind and heart to thinking on the power and glory of God in all of creation. And so he then takes that, writes a song to give to God's people, to tell God's people, give God glory. So that's what I hope happens for us this morning, that we realize how little we give him the glory, that we might walk away being humbled and desiring to give him glory, especially as we observe nature. So Psalm 29 then is a school teaching you to observe the world in order to learn to give God glory. It's discipleship. How can I glorify God more? That's what Psalm 29 is for. So let me read it, pray, and then explain a bit more about it. Psalm 29, a psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord or give to the Lord, O great beings or heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor and the beauty of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the water. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And all sit in his temple, all cry, glory. The Lord is in, sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Let's pray. Lord, you are our portion. Give us strength to fulfill and keep your words. We come now entreating, pleading with you for your favor with all of our hearts. And so be gracious to us according to your promises. Help us to think on our ways see our faults and failures, and turn our feet to your testimonies. Help us to hasten and not delay. Though cords of wickedness ensnare us, help us to not forget your law. Teach us to rise to praise you, to, to give you all glory and honor. Help us to be companions of those who fear you. God, the earth, O oh Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach us to love your statutes. In Christ's name, amen. John Calvin, in his commentary on the Psalms, commenting on Psalm 135, connects the glory of God on display in creation with the worship of God in his church. It's the same thing we see happening in Psalm 29. The psalm begins and continues for the first seven-eighths on God's glory in creation. And then at the very end of the psalm, it connects God's glory Gather among his gathered people as we see that glory. Here's what Calvin says. The whole world 
is a theater for the display of the divine goodness, wisdom, justice, and power. So a theater, a place you go to view something. The whole world is a theater for the display of God's glory, for the display of God's goodness, the display of God's wisdom and justice and power. But listen to this. But the church is the orchestra. It's made of the church alone approaches the God that has made us. And we are the ones who give attention as we consider God's glory. We alone have this privilege, this honor. Think about it. Who else gives God glory? Who else willfully gathers regularly for this singular purpose to honor and glorify God. Does the inanimate creation do that? Rocks and trees and so on? No. The animate creation, do animals, dogs, deer? Do, does the unbelieving world do this? No, we alone not only observe God's glory and creation, but gather to praise Him for it. This is our privilege. We see both of these things again in Psalm 29. One of the, or the doctrine that we see in Psalm 29 is the doctrine of providence. What does that mean? Well, providence is the biblical teaching that God is the creator of all things. We all believe this, right? Is there anything that God didn't make. All things have been made by God, right? So God is the creator of all things. It's the doctrine of creation. Providence says that God upholds, directs, disposes, and governs all creatures, actions, and things. Providence teaches that God made all things, and God is in control, governing, ordering, directing, disposing everything. All creatures, all actions, everything. You believe that? Everything. We see that in Psalm 29. God governs creation. He frethers. His voice orders everything in the world. You believe that? Do you believe that? This is one of the greatest comforts of a Christian. But well, we say it like Romans 8.28. All things work together by fate, right? By chance, right? No. All things work together being governed by God for the good of his people. That's the doctrine of providence. We look at the world and we don't see fate. We don't see chance. We don't see coincidence. We have faith that sees God controls everything from the greatest to the least. According to his infallible knowledge or to the praise of his glory and wisdom, God controls everything. That's what David sees in thunder. He observes thunder and it 
leads him to create a song considering thunder, considering God's power and majesty and creation. Leads him to delight in God and to tell God's people, people, give God the glory to his name. He controls everything. Forget about yourself. Forget about your, atten- your needing attention. Give God the glory. In Romans chapter 1, a very familiar passage that we mostly use to embarrass atheists. But it's really meant to help us understand the world. We read, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Why did God make the way he made it? Why did God make thunder? What for? What for? So that you could see his power. So that you could shut up, sit back, and go, (laughs) wow, what a God. makes it clear so that you can perceive his eternal power. So the world is governed by God, filled with a bazillion signposts, all declaring his eternal goodness, wisdom, justice, and power. And he has created man. In particular, he has redeemed his church and given us alone the purpose and pleasure to view the world, gather together, and say together, glory! That's what we're here for. Now, our world, because of its materialistic, evolutionary thinking, believes that we have no purpose, meaning. You're just flesh, And when you die, the switch will be turned off. There's no meaning. This has been particularly destructive for young men who are told not only are they just cells with no purpose, but they're toxic in their masculinity, and they need to be quiet for a long time and give up anything that they've ever gotten because the world is now ruled by the women. And you combine those two and you now see a world where people are full of depression and despair, aren't we? And in this world, God has placed his church and we say, no, we have incredible purpose and meaning. God has created a world that is communicating very clearly his divine goodness and power and glory and our purpose is to enjoy it and gather together and praise him for it. It matters. We matter. So this is what Psalm 29 is for. It's to help you in your dullness, in your apathy, in your fear, in your peacockishness to hear thunder and sit back and go, My God is great. He is greatly to be praised. And I get to praise him. 
So I hope that's what Psalm 29 has. Psalm 29 itself is in three parts. The first two verses tell you three times to give God glory. Three times to give God glory. Why three times? Because we're proud. Because you're proud. We were just in the boundary waters, you know, and we were in a wilderness filled with signposts of God's glory. And I was very aware reading Psalm 29 over and over again how little I glorify God, even when it's all around me unmistakably His glory. Why? Because I'm proud. Because I'm too busy. I'm too important. So we have to be told three times, ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord. Kids sometimes weary of their parents repeating things. And parents weary of needing to repeat things because if their kids just did it, they wouldn't have to repeat it. We are children, aren't we? Don't we need repetition? What does the word ascribe mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we add something to God that he lacks. We don't make God glorious. We are given the grace to observe, to behold, to see his power, his majesty, his beauty, his goodness, and to delight in it, to declare it, to shout it. It's a privilege. So that's the first two verses. David observing thunder, delighting in it, meditating on it, seeing God's care for his church, and then he wants to go to church with God's people with a new song and tell them right at the beginning, give God the glory. It's so good. It's so much fun. So give God glory. That's the first two verses. And then David's going to train you in verses 3 through 10 on how to look at God's creation is control over all things to help your heart, your mind, your body give God glory by observing thunder. Observing thunder. He sees thunder. It makes him think of God's power. And he follows a thunderstorm from the northern part, maybe like over the Mediterranean, all down through Canaan to the southern wilderness. His mind traces the glory and power of thunder, of God's glory in thunder, likening it to God's voice as a metaphor for God's voice, basically saying God's power is so awesome that it humbles the greatest parts of creation. And so he's meditating, he's chewing on the power of God observed in nature in thunder and, and, and using it kind of poetically to follow a thunderstorm as he delights in God. Jesus, he wants to train you how to do this. This is something Jesus does, doesn't he? Remember in Matthew 6 at the end as he's wanting to rebuke us for our anxiety? What does he tell you to do? Consider the birds. How God feeds them. And why are you anxious? Aren't you much more important than they? 
Consider the flowers. They're more beautifully clothed than Solomon in all of his splendor. Why are you worried? Are you not much more important than they? But what does he tell you to do? Go outside, sit down, look at his creation and observe his goodness and care for his people. That's what he's doing throughout this psalm. Except he's doing it with thunder. Isn't that awesome? Thunder has always been a major reality in man's religiosity. Thor, God of thunder. But our God thunders. He humbles our pride. So he's created thunder for you to wake you up to see his majesty and his power. David's training us in those verses, and that then leads him to the flood in verse 10. I think this is, you could just follow his thought. If you're going to be sitting observing thunder and thinking of the course of thunder and you've got the Bible in your brain, it's going to lead you to the event in all of Scripture where God's thunder His power and judgment was on fullest display, terrifyingly. The flood. And he sees God not overwhelmed by the flood, not having lost control of the flood, but enthroned as king over the flood. And then, as you think about the flood, what do you think about next? The ark. As God is enthroned over the most terrifying, destroying storm in human history, God is keeping his people safe. God is saving his beloved, chosen, cherished, redeemed. And so verse 11, God's power is his people's strength. God's power is his people's peace. So he takes the power of God in thunder and applies it to the safekeeping and comfort of his church. What fun! What what else could you do with your time that you could have so much enjoyment in? And yet our world, our mentality, which is so utilitarian, you're only useful if you're getting something done would see using the hours it would take to do what David's doing in Psalm 29 as an absolute waste of time. Husband, if you took this time to do this, wouldn't your wife get really frustrated with you and think, would you do something? Or vice versa. Remember Martha and Mary. Remember? I don't remember which one was which. Which one was sitting at Jesus' feet and which one was working like a dog? Okay, thank you. So what Psalm 29 wants you to do is be Mary. 
learn to be still and know that he is God. So Psalm 29 is training us in this. It's training us to do this. But, as I've said, the reason we need things like Psalm 29 is because we're so full of pride. We won't give him the glory. We're glory thieves. You'll notice in verse 1, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. There's a little note there. The, the literal, it says, sons of might. Ascribe to the Lord, sons of might. I think the King James actually has it like that. Or sons of the mighty or something like that. The language either refers to heavenly beings, angelic, strong beings, or those on earth who have power and authority and wealth and places of prominence. But let's, let's think it's the second. That it's particularly focusing on those on earth who are very important. The upper crust. The ruling class powerful, the wealthy, the beautiful. It's focusing particularly on them, saying to them, give God the glory. That's why Jesus consistently warned, or why the Bible consistently warns those with wealth. Because you can become so proud, so self-reliant of your home, that though you may come to church and worship God, you really just put all of your hope and all of your reliance in yourself, in your power, in your means. Now, you're wealthy. We're wealthy. I mean, we're not Elon Musk, but we mostly all have disposable income and could pretty much at any time just get whatever we need. We all have access immediately to world-class health care. So this song, that, that line should wake you up. This is me. That's what you should do with this. David Dixon says, The glory of the Lord, or, uh, as men are great in the world, so they are ready to think much of their own strength, of what their power is able to reach to and what honor is due them. But if they reckon rightly, strength and glory belong to God. I think this is, even more true of Christians spiritually. I mean, particularly this might be you if you've grown up in a Christian home and avoided you know, some of the just sinful wreckage. And you, you're a good boy. You're a good girl. You can't imagine that you rely on yourself. You can't imagine that your motives are Really ever that wrong? You know you do wrong stuff, but I, I didn't mean to do it wrong. I, I usually mean to do it right. You will struggle to give God the glory like David is doing in Psalm 29 with that kind of a heart. But think of David. He was a, 
among men, who's greater than David? He was spectacular. Killed lion and bear with his bare hands. He killed Goliath. Defeated all his enemies. Had great wealth. Women ruled the mighty nation. And yet here he is giving God glory and honor. So, do you? Will you give God glory and honor? What, how are some ways that you might not give God glory and honor? That you might thieve it, rob it, keep it for yourself? I was thinking about that this, this week and regards to myself, regards to you. And I think one of the main ways is we just grumble a lot. We're really full of complaints. Far from delighting in God and all that he's made and all that he's given us, we focus on the little bit that's gone wrong. The little bit that didn't meet our expectations. The little inconveniences that other people inconvenience us with. And we grumble and complain and whine and... And you say, not me... Just ask somebody who knows you well. What percentage of praise of God comes out of your lips compared to your complaining and grumbling and whining? Isn't that wicked of us? Do you realize, can you realize how wicked that is? Why do you, why, Pastor, why do you use that language? I want to be encouraged. I had a hard week. I need to be encouraged. You will never be encouraged unless you realize your absolute limitless ability to steal God's glory. You'll never get it. You don't want to be encouraged. You want to be flattered. I know you. I know me. So why do you grumble and complain so much? Because you're proud. You're the center of the universe. You demand everything go right. And so you won't give God the glory because he hasn't made everything right according to your plan. That's one way. Said positively, we just don't, aren't very thankful. We don't go to bed at night and consider the entire day and all that God has given us and, and thank him. We don't wake in the morning and Thank him for another day. Another way is how you carry yourself. If you've ever been around a a man, men with men who steal God's glory, they're the peacock. They say things in such a way, they dress in such a way that everybody take note of them. their attitude. It's the way they carry themselves as men. They got to be in the know. They got to be seen as knowing. I think women do it by their legs and their bosoms and their dress. 
how much they show. The point is we just want to draw attention. Now, men can do that too. They wear tight-fitting shirts. Everybody can see how big their pecs are. So we're peacocks. Are you God? Can you make thunder? Why then do you need so much attention? God gets all the glory. So what Psalm 29 is doing is trying to disciple you. The heavens declare what? The glory of God. So God created this world. He's ordered all things. And you're being taught how to see the world in a way where you are constantly distracted from what you need to do in order to enjoy the glory of God. David is lingering here. He, he, he thinks of things in creation that are mighty, like the cedars of Lebanon. Cedars are a beautiful tree, and if they're grown, they can be massive. Think redwood. God's power is so great that he can shatter them. So David's lingering over things like that. And then he thinks of something great like that and then something very intimate and wonderful like a deer giving birth, tender. And God's power of his voice accomplishes both of these extremes in creation. And David's lingering over those things. Again, David Dixon says, one work of God dwelt upon. So as we dwell upon a work of God, shall show you more of God than many of his works being slightly looked upon and passed over by busy people. That's what David's doing with thunder. He's lingering over it. He's dwelling upon it. He's considering the effects of it. He's learning more about God than a mere glance at all of God's work by delighting in, considering, dwelling upon one work. So maybe that's your goal for the coming week. Find one work of God in creation and just dwell on it. Think about it. Let your mind enjoy it. Now, we are not David. David is obviously a very, very gifted man. He's here an inspired writer of Holy Scripture. He, he is very unique among men. He's a farmer who's a poet. <laughs> so, so don't think that we'll ever be like David, but can't we do what David's doing here in our own way? Some of you are very artistic. That part of your brain is very developed. Praise God for you. We need more of you. But notice too that this is a song. How can you glorify God in the coming week? Singing. Isn't it delightful the way that song helps us enter into glorifying God in ways that many other things can't? 
particularly in the Psalms. Do you agree with me that the singing of God's people is one of the main ways that we give him glory? Is it? It really is, isn't it? Isn't it fun? What a privilege. We're told in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, notice too that David, in order to enjoy fully what he's observed in thunder, has to share it with others. This seems like David was just there by himself observing a thunderstorm. And, and he couldn't keep that private. He had to share it. He had to write a song about it, and gather with God's people and sing it with them. Our delight in God reaches its highest point, not when it's kept private but goes public with others. Do you know that? This is what we do with each other. My wife does it with when she finds a good deal. That's when I really need to pay attention. When I'm tempted to least care. We're very different in this way. I don't know what it is for you, but when we want to delight in God most, we have to share it with somebody else. You can't keep it private. When God does something that you're very happy with, you have to share it. I know I bash social media. This might be one good reason for social media. That you can share the glory of God, not in a way that gets everybody to tell you how great you are or how pitiful you are, but where you can delight in the glory of God in creation, sharing it. And also realize that this kind of delight in God, this kind of glory, is not easy. It takes time thought, energy, focus. It doesn't come naturally. Don't think that David saw some thunder and went and wrote this song five minutes later. I guarantee you this was weeks and weeks of writing and rewriting and singing and "Ah, I don't like that line. I want to try. I don't like that word. I want to try this word. He really worked hard at this. And so don't be lazy in it. Don't be lazy in glorifying God. Take time. If you're an artist and can draw, get better at it. Use your eraser. Try again. You can do better. If you're a musician learning the guitar or taking voice lessons, you're not that good yet. You can get better. Right? If you're a mechanic and you glorify God and Figuring out this or that thing. Get better at it. Work harder at it. Give God glory by your skill. Isn't Psalm 29 excellent? Isn't it beautiful? And I want to say that because our world is constantly telling you that mediocrity is enough. Not to challenge yourself, not to challenge anybody else. Just be okay with patheticness. Because you're a victim and something happened bad in your past and you're doing as good as you can. Participation trophy for everybody. Just get better at it. Glorify God at this kind of excellence. Lastly, 
The psalm ends after David enjoys God's power and thunder by thinking of God's care for his people. He goes from the flood to the ark. Rulers in the world rule over a small part, a small number of people, but God is the king of kings. And he is the king of kings caring for his people such that they come home to him. Just listen to that in verse 11. Now, verse 11, I don't think the ESV quite gets the full sense of it. It doesn't look like in the Hebrew that this is a request, but a statement. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. He's thinking of God's power in creation and thunder. He's thinking of God's power in judgment. And he's thinking of God's power that is the strength of his people and the peace of his people. Isn't that delightful? We don't have a God, his people, to be powerful. We have a God whose power is shown in saving his people. And so how much more can you think of Christ here? Dalich says that the closing word with peace is like the rainbow arch over the psalm. The beginning of the psalm shows us heaven open. Well, it closed shows us his victorious people upon earth, blessed with peace in the midst of the terrible utterance of his wrath. Glory to God in the beginning, peace on earth at the close. And isn't that where all things are going? There is a day coming when peace will reign on earth and we will reign with God here. And God will keep you until that day. Why? Because he thunders. Let's pray. Father, help us to grow in giving you the glory. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for being peacocks. Help us to observe in all creation just one act of your power to think on it, to dwell on it, to consider it. And so delight our, ourselves in you and then share that with others. And so God, teach us to get off ourselves and glorify you and then lead it to give us comfort and confidence in your care, that your power is our strength and our peace and that forevermore. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.